Thanks for tuning in to this week's show, everyone. It's being brought to you by the Connoisseur Collective. This month, on March 24th, they are celebrating March Dabness, the final four of the Cannabis Cup. March Dabness is being celebrated at Baldora on the Water with special judging guest, Devin the Dude. If you're interested in getting a VIP judging pass, it's $100. If you just want a regular pass, it's $42. You need to go to theconnoisseurcup.com to get your tickets. Hope to see you there. Going to be a blast. Welcome to the show, everyone. Got a new episode with Mike Biggio. He is the man behind the Area 420. It's a uh, the highest concentration of cannabis growers in the, in the country or in the world, I believe. It is down in Moffitt, Colorado. I want to say thank you, Mike, and to Matt Brainstrap down there for helping me get started with the podcast. I used your Area 420 space a little bit. I got some of your equipment here I'm still using. I highly appreciate it. Um, a lot of great content down there. I'll be down again this spring and summer for a long haul and do a lot more interviews, some tours of some of the grows down there. Um, I want to say thank you for coming on the show. And uh, you've been down in Denver recently talking with Ethan Tafoya. He's uh, running for mayor here at Denver really soon, uh, talking about social equity and Big Canna. We're going to get to that here real soon. Um, you are a social equity recipient yourself. Am I correct? I am. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of social equity recipients growing down in area 420. There's a lot of mom and pop uh, people down there, uh, small, small timers, just trying to live their dream. You know, um, could you tell the audience a little bit how you got into cannabis and how you got into area 420, how this whole thing evolved? Sure. Yeah. So a long story. Um, so yeah, so I got, you know, I started growing weed when I was shit. I was like 15 years old. Um, I ended up getting caught up back in 1999. I was uh, at a grow house in Greenwood Village, and uh, one of my partners ended up rolling on me. Is this in Colorado? This is Colorado. Okay. Yeah, this is like just outside of Metro Denver um, area. So, you know, this is before anything was legal. Um, and I ended up raiding my house um, and ended up getting eight years in prison uh, for cultivation. So I got out and I did all eight years of this. Um, I got out in 2008, you know, right when the industry was starting to open up and ended up getting a job uh, managing one of the first dispensaries uh, in the state. So it was called Highland Health. Sadly, uh, no longer operational. They got they got hit on those uh, when the feds came in for all the people that were too close to the school back in the day. So. Anyhow, so, so I ended up getting a job basically doing the same shit that they put me in prison for. Um, and, and then came, you know, this is pre, pre-regulations. So once the regulations started to roll out, you know, that's where they started kicking out all the felons, you know, all, anybody with the uh, cultivation history. So, you know, kind of went back down in the, in the underground. Um, you know, I had to figure my shit out. And I decided, you know, I'll just start doing everything I can, you know, on, on the sidelines within the industry. You know, I can't have a badge, but I can still make moves. So I came down to the uh, 
Valley here back in 2015, I think it was. Um, you know, just looking for an area that I had gotten. Let me backtrack. In the course of this time, I, I'd gotten a property out in Elbert County um, and got raided there. I was seven plants over my, you know, I was doing a caregiver grow and got hit with another felony. So, you know, luckily this time I, I was only had to do probation, but that really got me thinking, you know, I got to get the hell out of these crazy conservative areas and let's, let's find something where, you know, the, the politics are, are better. So that's what led me to the Valley, you know, out here is really, it's like going back in time. You know, it's one of the few counties that have no building codes, um, just a really interesting area. It's Sagotch County, right? Swatch County, yeah. Swatch County. I, I couldn't pronounce it. I've seen it written, but I never heard it. Yeah. So, you know, came down here and, you know, back then it was the, the big town out here was Crestone. And that's where a lot of guys were, were, you know, had little grows going. But it's not, in my opinion, wasn't really the place to do anything commercial. It's all residential areas. So I was able to identify the town of Moffitt, which is you know, very centrally located in the Valley. And it's an interesting town. You know, the town has, for one, this town was once proposed to be the capital of, of Colorado. Um, it has a very interesting hi history. You know, they went through several booms. There was the mining boom and then the, the cattle booms. But then, the, you know, after that, the town just has kind of been dead for, for a couple generations. But they have really good infrastructure. You know, water is a big deal. Um when it comes to commercial cannabis, you know, you can't use domestic or household wells. Um, you know, you have to find a good commercial supply or a good municipal supply. So that was really the, the opportunity there. Uh, the town has seven irrigation wells. This town has more water rights than towns, you know, hundreds of times their size. I live in Salida. They have more water rights than there. So there's a big opportunity, but these wells were were ancient. You know, they were all drilled in the late 18, early 1900s, and they just aren't producing what they were decreed to produce. So the, you know, the the offer to the town was, look, if you guys will support, um, you know, cannabis production over here, then, you know, I think we can raise the capital to redrill and protect these towns' water rights. And it's all coming to a head now. You have the the, the um, state water division coming down on the town. They, they have to make a move. You know, they're, they're running, they've run out of runway to, to uh, you know, finalize this project. So that was the original deal. Um, we were able to pick up a, a two pieces of property that just so happened to equal 420 acres. And at the time, I'll rewind back a bit again. Um, before I started the Area 420 project, I was working as a liaison with other applicants that, that wanted to get into the industry. So I would help them identify property, um, get them on a legal source. I was able to work with one of the farmers out here to pull what they call a full consumption water right. The, the, the complication is not only do you have to find a commercial water right, but those water rights are seasonal. So they're April to November. So in order to utilize that water source all year long, you have to go through a very complicated water court case. And it's kind of a negotiation. You have to give up some of your water rights to get your full consumption. So he was able to do that, uh, luckily. 
and that made you know opened up the opportunity to bring some farms up now the problem was they had to haul water to them which you know at the time it would it made sense but it was you know i i, I realized early on this is not going to be sustainable you know what farm has to haul water to their property so what I was doing is helping people identify properties as close uh, to the water supply source as possible. Um, and then I act as, acted as a liaison for the licensing process with the county. So I was their representative that would go, you know, argue the license. And, you know, through the course of that, man, I really learned that this is why I always say that the, the most critical thing in this cannabis industry, I mean, this is true of, of, of all industry, but, but really in cannabis, just because of the stigma is you have to choose your local wisely. You know, the state has their rules. It is what it is. I, I, I don't like a lot of them, but, but, but it is what it is. It's, it's the local that can really make your life a living hell. So, you know, going through the course of beating my head against the wall with this insane county, um, when we had the opportunity and I, and I met my partner, uh, Whitney Justice, we were able to acquire this uh, property and originally we were considering putting it in the county um, and actually not a week after we had closed on the property we brought this to the county and they put a moratorium in. and that's really you know was a was a defining moment that that really made all of this possible and that's really where I finally decided I, I can no longer do business with the county so I've been toying with the idea of annexing the property in the Moffitt um, through the course of this, I had uh, been elected onto the town board, and I was really playing the politics uh, locally. I was able to bring up a commercial farm within the town and access one of their municipal water rights. So we kind of, you know, we were able to step into it. The town saw that the sky wasn't falling. They were generating a bit of money. And that's what led us to uh, annexing the property into the town of Moffitt to bring it under the town rule. And that's really what made all this possible, you know, is the, is the support of the town and the infrastructure of the water. So, yeah, that's a uh, good to note for all these other States coming up. Uh, there's going to be different counties that allow things, other counties that won't like here, Colorado Springs, they don't like home grows very much. They don't, they're very uh, strict on the um, commercial side. It's a medical only, I believe there's no rec. But other counties, it's much more lenient. So take advantage of that. Especially on the growth. Or get into the politics local. Yeah. You know, it's one thing to get a store in, but to get a grow in, you know, these these counties, these municipalities really don't want it. So, you know, what I'm seeing in the county is they're allowing cannabis because they want the money, but they really, at the end of the day, they don't want you there. So... Where it becomes a problem is they start pulling bullshit regulations out of their ass. For example, if you want to grow in the county right now, you have to dig down like five, six feet or something, put rocks down, and then backfill. And, and I don't understand what their argument is. Um, well, I, I they're talking about preserving the, the ground and, and filtering and, water somehow. Exactly, yeah, but 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 my argument is this is the cleanest crop that you could grow. We're, we're highly it restricted pulls the heavy on metals out. Use. Exactly. It's and, it's, it's and exactly. It's a remediating crop. So it's just shit like that. You know, they don't really understand the industry. A new one is they, if you want to have a grow, they want you to build a house first. 
before they will allow you to set up a grow. It's like, if I want to grow tomatoes, would they make me build a house? So it's just a whole lot of that bullshit that makes it extremely difficult um, to operate. And then there's, you know, egregious taxes and, and extra fees that they want to charge. So they, they don't make it easy. So it's, it's very important to find a, a local that will work with you that actually wants you there. And it's, it, unfortunately, I really don't know of any other place right now. I mean, they're all corrupt on a different level. And some of that, you were just down in Denver speaking at a uh, little get together with Ethan Tafoya. I mentioned a little bit ago, he's running for mayor here in Denver. And you guys were talking about the social equity and the big Canada and some of the tactics that are used and uh, to hold the little guys down. Would you like to repeat that a little bit for the people out here? Yeah, definitely a shout out to Ian Tafoya. You know, he's running for mayor. He is, he has a lot of experience within the cannabis industry, comes from an environmental background. I think, you know, of all the politicians I've spoken with, he actually gets, um, you know, this industry and and the difficulties now. So, yeah, the discussion was, you know, cannabis reform, the state of the industry right now, and, and really regarding the social equity. So, Social equity in Colorado right now is defined as anybody that was negatively impacted by the war on drugs or their family members. Meaning if you got caught up for it, like in my case, um, you know, cultivating cannabis, honestly, I think even if you got a ticket for, for, you know, possession, I think you you technically qualify. Um, And then the other requirement is if you grew up in an, in a, uh, impact zone area between the years of, and I, I, I can't remember. I think it's like from the eighties to, to the 88 to 95 or something. That was like okay. the crack epidemic. I think it started like 88. It's when three strikes you're out started and uh, the crack and the cocaine differences. And yeah, it was like 88 to 95 or four. I, that's when I grew up. And a lot of people I knew in the in country, West Virginia was, was impacted by that too. So it's good for them to know they they can get their license to work in the industry. They can get a badge here in Colorado from abroad, then move here and already have it and work in the industry out here if they wanted. They can. Yeah. Good point. You know, a lot of people don't realize this, but the the way the new law is it's three years from the date of your conviction. Right. So technically you could have been convicted and sentenced three years ago, got out of prison yesterday and you now qualify. It's no longer from the time that you were off paper, which is when they put that 10 year in that, that's what was holding me back from getting in. Yeah. Um, I think in some states they're yeah. already starting out with uh, some of these social equity applicants are some are first in line, supposedly first in line to get their, their permits. But a lot of it, like I was talking to a lady in Chicago, she said that, the actual fact of it getting into motion and starting the business is a whole different factor. And they got the licenses, but getting to that, to the storefront actually opening in the first sale is something completely different. And you were wanting to talk about that here, I think, and some of the tactics that have been used by corporate entities to, to hold down little guys with like us. Definitely. Yeah. There's definitely two things going on. So, you know, some of the newer States are putting social equity, at the forefront and i think that's wise um they're definitely going to be dealing with their own complications you know at the end of the day the problem is a lot of the guys that are transitioning over or have these criminal histories they often don't have the capital that it takes to get into this industry so inevitably uh the corporate interests 
you know, get their tentacles into all of these operations, and they're the ones that end up winning. So there's, there's very few, uh, if any, I can think of social equity, you know, success stories that aren't that are because of social equity. You know, there's guys out there that are making their moves, but it's not because anybody handed anything to them. Um, Colorado, a little bit different. You know, we were in the very interesting position of of being first to market and. You know, like I said on this on this panel, I, I don't feel that social equity, here's what social equity means to me. I don't believe that anybody owes me anything because uh, I have a felony and I went to prison for weed. I, when I did this, it wasn't legal, right? And I knew what I was getting myself into and I did my time and, and that's it. My issue is that when we did decide to go legal, they held us back and and you know, to clarify that, I, I even understand their position on that. And, and I, and I respect it. You know, they, we were at a critical point where, you know, in order to go forward, this had to be as clean as possible. And the risk was that if they allowed felons, would the government, the, the, the feds, uh, the administration come, come down on them. So I get that. Right. But they didn't, they dragged their feet when they decided to come, come to the table with the social equity. It didn't start until 2020, right? When the game was already established, all the distributions locked up. You can't get a store in Denver anywhere now, anyhow, because of the setbacks and their, you know, zoning. So now they decide to do it and they put this on the table, right? And I was honestly shocked when they did. And I was very optimistic, but if they're going to put it on the table with the idea of, okay, how do we correct this wrong? And the wrong is we've held, a, you know, a, a number of the population back from, from joining this industry until the point where it's so established that there's really nowhere to get in. How do we level this, this, this field and anything meaningful? Like right now there's a, uh, uh, shout out to Sarah Woodson with the color cannabis. They, she's helped introduce a bill that would, um, allow social equity producers to go direct to market and bypass the stores and this is causing a, a, a hell of a farmer's of market a, style type right exactly right so so this is the established cannabis industry in colorado does not want this to happen they are heavily lobbying against this and not only are they lobbying against this which i which i get um but what i find very sleazy is that they have infiltrated these social equity meetings and they are steering the conversation and steering these social equity applicants out of production, cultivation, extraction, and very forcefully trying to push them into this delivery and, and uh, hospitality licenses. And my take is that they're trying to give them the shit that they don't want, right? This, this transport and the hospitality, there's no money in that. None of these guys are making money. There's 36 uh, delivery licenses and they're all struggling because there's really no, you know, it's kind of flawed from the beginning without mandating that there's a third party transport, which I'm not necessarily advocating for, but in absence of that, how are these guys going to make money as, as an operator myself is I have the right to drive product myself or send any other, uh, of my, uh, licensed partners to deliver it. So you know, there's a whole devious play and, and they don't want anybody in anything that's going to have any substance. You know, like I, I tell people, does 
does Jack Daniels or Coors Beer um, notice that the liquor store down the street goes out of business? I argue they don't. So the branding and the future of this industry, I believe, is going to be in the in the product. And I think the big money's really taken a, a, a has positioned themselves poorly on this. You know, right now they are the gatekeepers because it is all about the stores. But once we go into an international and global market, that's not going to be the case anymore. I think this is going to much more follow the tract of, of, of alcohol. And I'm looking at this more like a Napa Valley um, type play, right? And 10, 20 years from now, is anybody going to care about, you know, weed that is produced in some warehouse in Denver or L.A.? I think it's going to be much more like what region, what unique region from the from this planet are you sourcing your cannabis from? And I think we're in a unique position to do that out here at the 420 complex. You know, that kind of leads into the whole push uh, name change. And we'll get to that here in just a moment. Yeah. So yeah, um, the regional, I I think the same thing down there is a lot of outdoor grows. Um, uh, Area 420 is lotted out for people to actually buy property and come down and start their own grows down there. Am I correct? Yeah, so we were able to subdivide this 420-acre property into one-acre tracks, and we've, you know, we have got some guys out here, I think the biggest tract is six acres, you know, some guys have two, Um, it's kind of a la carte. So each of the properties has irrigation water to the lot, um, and then power to the properties. Well, we have a couple different uh, options here. So what we're calling our phase one, we were able to bring in full three phase power from Excel energy. The transmission lines are there. It's up to the grower, what size power drop that they want to pull. Um, you know, you, some guys out here have a 2000 amp three phase. I mean, you can go, you can go pretty big on our phase two properties. Um, that actually we're in a different power, uh, company's territory and we've accessed all the power that they have. So, believe we have one property left that has a single phase uh uh 200 amp like a normal house drop on it the rest of the lots do not have power so they're more set up for seasonal drop now that said i'm working outdoor greenhouse sun grow yes correct yeah seasonal grow Uh, but that said i'm i'm in discussions right now with uh, a company called regen solar and they are interested in coming out and providing a power grid. So we have a, a, a buddy of ours on, on phase two that just set up, he's building a huge operation and he just designed, I think it's going to end up being a four acre uh, grid just for his operation alone. So that same power company is interested in providing power to other growers um, up in that uh, on phase two. So there would be that option going forward as well. So, yeah, I think that um, the same as you, regional outdoors here is going to be some rough, hardy kush, uh, something high altitude like that grew in Afghanistan and Pakistan or that area where cannabis originated. Then uh, it will be regional. Thailand, you're going to have some some Thai weed. They're legal there. I got a buddy over there. They're, they're growing Thai weed everywhere. It's going to be very distinctively different than what's going to be grown in Area 420. Also, um, you had been spending some time down in the Virgin Islands recently, and uh, 
they have gone recreational legal and they're trying to set up their laws down there. And they're actually, you've been instrumental in going down and speaking with them, the local government and helping them get their paperwork right so they can write their laws. And then they're amending it a little bit from a conversation I heard you have recently and uh, making it even better for the local small guy. And uh, I want to go into that here in just a moment too. But to get back to Area 420, uh, there are some plots of land that people can buy. If that's their dream. They can come and get in contact with you somehow over the website, uh, area420.com. Is that it? That's it. Yeah. And so all the properties are pre-zoned on the local. They have the local license already. So getting back to that whole, you know, the local is the headache. We were, we've been able to kind of turn this whole thing on its head. It's, you know, usually when you go through this process, you file with the state, you file with the local, the state comes back. It only, it's a formality. It takes two months. You, you pay them their money. The licensing is don't quote me on this because I know they changed it, but somewhere around $8,600 um, for your state uh, uh, rec license. But the problem is it's the local that takes forever. So here, the local is already pre-approved. If you're on top of it and, you know, we're kind of coming up on last call, I always tell people really like um, St. Patrick's Day is, is pretty much the cutoff and even that's cutting it close. But there's still a chance to get your license in and catch the season um, if you don't miss a beat. Yeah, that's where this upcoming yeah. grow season, you mean, they can come in and throw some seeds <laughs> in the ground immediately. I know the, some people have done that. Uh, yeah. I've interviewed a few of them. <clears throat> so you had recently spent some time down in the Virgin Islands, right? And they are going recreational legal. And you had mentioned that they are going one step further even and uh, – helping the local economy and helping the local farmers. Could you explain that a little bit? Yeah, it's really inspiring what they're doing. They're really putting, um, you know, social equity at the forefront and, you know, their version of social equity is the guys on the Island that have been, you know, persecuted for cannabis, you know, making sure that they have a position in this new industry. It's a so uh, religious thing, right? It's a, there's a big, uh, Rastafari community well. and uh, religious down there. And I know they have been oppressed and there's a, you know more about it. So I won't interrupt anymore. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. No. Yeah. They have a whole sacrament separate, like licensed uh, provision. It's, it's very interesting what they're doing. So it's a limited licensing model. They're only allowing, so it's three islands. You got St. John, St. Croix um, and St. Thomas. So St. Croix and St. Thomas are the bigger islands. Uh, St. John has a much smaller population. So they're doing seven stores on both St. John and St. Sorry, on St. Thomas and St. Croix and three on St. John. And then they're allowing 15 commercial uh, grows for both St. Thomas and St. Croix and then five on St. John. However, they are putting no limit on what they're calling micro licenses. And that's how they're, that's how the social equity guys come in. Now they're pretty limited. It's only 50 plants, uh, flower, 200 veg, but even the, even the, the, um, uh, commercial license is limited to a thousand. So I think, you know, this is often how these governments do it. I, I really don't, I think they're really underestimating the amount of cannabis that it's going to take, uh, for this Island once it, once they turn this thing on. I mean, this is pretty much a purely tourism market and 
I, I think it's going to be a huge hit. You know, they, yeah, they're so going. Many people- Many people I know go to Jamaica, and it's not 100% legal for that if they have it set up. And, and uh, people like me would rather go there and know that I'm supporting the locals instead of some big company that just bought property, put a big hotel up, and is not helping out the locals, you know? Exactly. So what they've decided to do, and this is, this is pretty uh, uh, bold, they are mandating that 70% of the of the product is sourced through the micro license social equity. So they will have 70% of the production, which which is inspiring. And it's actually this is leading me to a, a proposal that I'm putting in up to uh, Colorado, which would be to mandate that 10% of the product um, come from social equity licenses. And I'm also asking that there be a, an elimination or at least a reduction of the excise taxes fees um, for that. So I think that's the way to kind of square this out. Um, but yeah, but by going at 70%, that is a bold move. I I wouldn't dare to attempt the same here. I think we're just too established. So I think 10% is more reasonable. But you know, if they can come out with that out the gate, that is going to be the best thing that they could do to protect the market. Yeah, I like the idea of that too. Um, another thing I know that's holding a lot of people who've gotten their licenses leak, uh, recently is the capital, like you said, but when the investors want to invest, their interest rates are out of this world. That's one thing it's holding people back too. So if there's anybody out there with a lot of money and wants to help invest, look up Area 420. There's a lot of people down there. They could use some investing money without getting ripped off. Uh it's a it's a big thing holding a lot of people back in a lot of states, like you said, with the the capital. Another thing too is, uh, if you don't have the capital to start up the business, once you have the business, how are you going to promote it? How are you going to advertise? Then we got all of these social medias. It's like the only way I can see anybody ever has a chance to advertise, but then their social media accounts are blocked or shut down. There's no way for people to get their information out there. Like uh, I would have came down and saw you the other day in denver with tafoya and been a part of it but i didn't i didn't get them actually i got the message today i looked at my facebook because right. they, <laughs> they delay these things yeah until yeah, right that. after the event and then everybody oh dang i, I wish i was there right so uh yeah that's one thing I, there's got to be some better platform for people to get their information out there and share their information without being banned and have these big corporate entities holding them back that is that's a big thing and i think it's gonna kill uh the cannabis not kill it but just destroy a good thing turn cannabis into a bad thing that that's undesirable like alcohol and tobacco right yeah you know we're you know we're running out of time here you know my position is we're still in the before times right like history will still look back at this is until it goes to a interstate and global market we're, we're operating within the confines of our states. And that's that's why these gatekeepers and these dispensary owners, you know, can run the entire game. And the sad thing is, even if we, even if we could market, even if we could advertise all day, it doesn't matter because they hold the keys to the sales, right? They, they are the distribution point. So th- there's two ways to play this, you know, like what, what the Virgin Islands is doing, getting in front of it in a new market, and positioning, you know, for the little guys, for the underdogs, that's the strategy. 
in more established markets like Colorado, Oregon, you know, Cali, it's 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 going to take a different approach, and we're going to have to go back and seize, you know, a portion of of uh, of the distribution, and you know, the entrenched interests do not want that, right? So that's that's going to be the battle is is how do we take back something that they've that they've been you know sitting on that, that's theirs. Um, yeah, man, it's going to be a, a hell of a fight. So, but we got to get it done before before this interstate global shit happens. Because if we don't, we still have a fucking chance right now, right? We got to get our 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 position before this opens up. Yeah, my my suggestion is people get in get into local politics, like you get on the council, get to know your local government. Uh, if the, they're not happy with that, vote them out. Get somebody else in that is cannabis friendly. That's the way. I've always told people is to start local, vote the people out, vote the people in who are pro cannabis and start from there because you can set yeah. local laws and local laws will be precedent and the sheriff will protect you on that. If the sheriff's behind you. I think that's where a lot of the passion in this industry comes from. It's not just, you know, we're producing a product and it, it's a whole social fucking movement. Right. And you, if you're in the cannabis industry and you're not involved in politics, then you're, you know, you're not helping shape these conversations. And it's, it's, you know, I don't think you're going to get far. You have to be involved with this because all of these, you know, these people are in these rooms making decisions that could destroy your business and your life. So, you know, it's important to follow it. And, and with the regulations being redrafted and there's constantly new, provisions and testing requirements i mean it's it's a lot to, to stay on top of this industry is not easy and that's what i tell you know you know we really specialize in transitioning guys from the gray market into you know this whole legal game but i'm very upfront you know you are trading one set of headaches for another no doubt like it is far easier to to, to grow in the underground in many ways however you get caught up like me and you lose your, your your life and your freedom. So so that's really the my position and why I push so hard to get these guys into this game because I always put it like this, you know, when's the last time you bought alcohol from a bootlegger? Everybody goes to the store now. So the underground our day the days are numbered, right? And I, and I realize that and that's why I'm, you know, doing everything I can to position not only myself but you know, my people in this and this whole collective strategy that we pulled together here at 420 i think is is really the way to do it you know we have formed like voltron to compete against these corporate growers you know we have over 10 percent of the colorado production licenses just right here on this complex we've been able to consolidate more than any of these corporate guys have been able to do but we've done this at a collective at the end of the day each one of these guys owns their land they own their business that's why we can come together like this. You know, it's just an entirely different model that I don't see anybody doing. So I think we're in a good position, but I think we need to fight for our, for our shelf space. And that's, you know, that's going to be the battle. So um, <clears throat> I got to take a little breath here. Hold on one second here and see where we're at. And uh, to do, so the thing is, I'll repeat it. I don't know if some people understood it, but if you buy a property down in area 420, they're one acre lots. 
you do get a growing license included with the price of the property. Am I correct? Well, yeah. Well, well, not only grow, so you can do have any license you want. If you want to open up an extraction, medical, rec, in fact, you could do both. You could do a medical rec. You can do a medical rec grow and MIP on the same property if you wish. So it's, it's a, the, the, the way the ordinance is written is that each one of these properties is already pre-approved through the town for any cannabis operations whatsoever. So also there, I've seen it there. You got to have it gated in. Right. But then you also have a little clause in there where you can gate off a little area where you can put some kind of housing. Right. And you can live right there next to it. If you want it to be the grower yourself, or you could hire a grower and have them live on the spot and, and do it. Right. That's, that's another really big benefit of this no zoning and, you know, the support of the town. So these are all dual zones. So exactly right. You can, you can, and a lot of guys have done this. They build either a tiny home or they um, bring a, you know, like a fifth wheel camper out and you're able to partition off that property. Um, and then that becomes your residence. So you can consume cannabis there. You can, you know, that is your residence. And then to the back um, would be your commercial license. Yeah, because you're so that it's really it strict here. You got to have a badge to actually walk into the commercial license where you got to be signed in and signed out. Everything's videotaped. Correct. You got to have like 40 days of surveillance. So you cannot consume on the property that you're growing. Now, some people no, no, don't no. understand that. So if you come out here and think you're going to be smoking weeds in the dispensary, selling weed and smoking weed while you're working, it doesn't work that way. You got to have no. your work and then your play is separate. You got to make sure you know that because then you can get everybody in a lot of trouble if you're if you're fucking around. You can. That that said, though, you're, you're right. It, it cannot be once you go into your facility and sign in, you cannot bring any cannabis in your pocket for consumption. I mean, they're, they're strict about that. And you, yeah, you can't really consume your own product unless you allot it out and then you pay for it. And it's all done within the system because it's all tracked. It is a very complicated, you know, and that's our whole thing. You know, we follow these rules to the T. And if you don't know them, there's somebody down there that can help you understand them, right? There's a lot of this is called compliance. And that's one thing that gets a lot of people is all the compliance. And it's very difficult to follow all this. And I know you got a special person just set aside just for that, right? Just for your your flower factory. That is your personal grow, right? No. So actually, so this is one of the, this is another benefit of this whole, you know, community uh, cluster theory structure here. So when they... When the social equity um, came on the table, I was able to go down to Denver to one of their meetings, and um, I met uh, this guy Colin Mudd with Canope Compliance. So Colin used to work um, with the city of Denver um, in their city uh, regulations department, and he had gone off on his own, started his own compliance company, and he was the only compliance company to put his name in the hat for these social equity guys. So I was able to reach out to him. Fucking great guy, you know, and he, we were able to strike a deal. And this is, this is cool. This is unique. We we're able to strike a deal with the town of Moffitt where he has come on as like an intermediary between the state, the town, and the licensed operators. So he is our in house um, compliance officer for the town of Moffitt. And his fees are paid through our licensing fees. See, and this is the way it's supposed to work. And, and, most municipalities do not do this. We have filing fees. So when you when you pay that $8,600 to the state or whatever it is, again, don't quote me, look that up. Um, 
2,500 of it is remitted back to the town of Moffat. And this is true of every municipality. So that goes into a fund that helps that helps pay Collins fees. So, you know, we're paying for it, but in a way we're not because of the fees, these are the fees that we'd be paying anyhow. And what other towns and counties are doing is they take that money and it goes into their general fund. It's supposed to go into the management and support of regulating the industry. That's the point of the licensing fee. They're not supposed to be profiting off of that. So that's the position the town has taken. Now you also have a renewal fee with the town. So the combination of those two covers Collins fees and we have an in-house compliance. And this has been the most powerful thing I think we've been able to do. You know, when we first started out in this industry, the first license that I got in town, now at the time I was still blocked by my felony. So I, I wasn't able to hold the badge, but I own the land. So my partner uh, owned and operated the facility. And I remember when we came on, you know, you would think that being how regulated this shit is, that somebody would like come before you go start, go live and like make sure that you did your shit right. They don't, they don't at all. So in our case, the, the med, the marijuana enforcement division didn't come out to see it. It took like a year. And the whole time, my poor boy, Jared is, is just stressed the fuck out because you're trying to interpret these rules. You, you're, you want to take this shit seriously. You don't want to get jammed up, but are you doing it right? Like the way it's written really needs a lot of clarification. And if you contact the med, they're basically like, fuck you, call your attorney or your compliance officer. It's like, all right, well, how, you know, these big corporate guys, they may have two or three uh, compliance officers on the payroll. We ain't got it like that. So this has been the greatest benefit. Now, if we need clarification, I'm able to reach out to Colin. He's able to reach out to the regulators and he gets an email position from the state, sends that to us. And there we go. We put that in our records and we move forward. But interpreting this shit has been very difficult and, and, this is the best. So he does this. He does a 600-point checklist before we go live. Um, he came to Flower Factory and, and did us last year. Um, huge benefit. And then he does, he does a spot audit every year just to make sure everybody out here is playing by the rules. You know, the point of this is let's catch this shit before the state does. You know, and that's that's his mission is to make sure that everybody out here is, is, is um, operating and following the rules so that we don't get jammed up when the state comes. And we've got a good record going. You know, we've never had a violation in our facility. We're legitimately passing all of our uh, testing. You know, we're playing this straight. And I feel like, especially with, with what we're doing out here, I feel like the eyes are on us. So we have, we're have we held to a different standard and we really got to shine, you know. So I, I really yeah. like what you're doing out there. There's a upcoming events that you're going to be throwing uh, events down there. I was down there for a harvest festival. Uh, are you going to have a spring reap what you sow? Are you going to have a sowing festival when, when people are throwing seeds in the ground? I know they're having a uh, SLV seed exchange April 1st, okay. which is right down the road at the uh, Joyful Journeys Hot Spring, I believe, the San Bernardo, San Luis Valley, SLV, correct? SLV, SLV seed Valley. exchange, yeah. yeah. They do that every year at the hot springs is a really cool event. We've been sponsoring it, you know, since we've been out here, it's definitely, uh, we have, a. see, we have a party up for 420. So that's the town's birthday. Yeah. Also, you know, the town was founded 
April 20th, 1911. Can't make that shit up. And so your plot is 420 acres. Can't make that shit. It's, it's all the like town wells to are 420 feet deep. Yeah, <laughs> um, and then, you know, this is more uh, Matt brainstraps. He's he really spearheads all of this. Um, but yeah, I know we got. We're trying to get events lined up back to back. I know he's uh, putting them together a car show with a couple other people. Um, we're going to have some old cars, cars down there and uh, should be a good time. I think they said sometime in July, uh, maybe July 5th, if I had it written down and my memory serves me correct. But also there is an interest in changing the name of Moffitt to the name Kush. It's been yes. a hot topic. And I know that you've gone down and you've mentioned something about uh, applying for the name change for the city. Do you have any more information on that? I do. Yeah. Actually, the other day I finally got um, what I was waiting for. So, so yeah, so the idea behind the Kush name changes, I've been calling this the Kush region of the United States since I came out here. You know, if you watch some of the old, the old strain hunter videos where they're, uh, you know, in like the Afghan, the Kush region, um, I remember watching and I'm just like, man, it looks like they're walking around out here, you know, similar vegetation, similar soil you got the mountains in the backdrop so i started looking into it and sure enough man it's you know they're an alpine desert we're the world's largest alpine desert the day night temperatures are the same the the uh, composition of the soil sandy loam um elevation same so you know and that's the idea for at least for the outdoor production i think that's our strongest uh play you know, the next thing I'm working on is going after that whole Appalachian terroir designation. So for those that don't know, um, this is why champagne can only come from the Champagne region of France, right? Everything else is sparkling wine. It's an international protection on an agricultural product. Um, California just did this. Um, the guys at the Gangier spearheaded this. The Humboldt uh, region just just secured this protection and the way it works it goes all the way to the governor they actually had to introduce a bill and they now have this this uh designation kind of like a patent so that's something i want to do here now the trick to this is is it has to be grown outdoors right so the appellation is the unique environment that you're growing in and then the terroir is the unique attributes that it brings to that agricultural product so you can't it can't be in a hoop house it can't be in a building it has to be in the elements, right? To qualify. Mm -hmm. So that's something a, a strong suit that I think we're really going to be pushing into in the future is is full sun grown, you know, natural crop, and and it also has to be a unique region. Not everywhere will qualify uh, to, to get this designation, and then the work begins. You know, it can take 10, 20 plus years to develop the varietals that that will end up being you know part of this program that are from this area but i think it's something definitely worth doing i can't think of anything more interesting in cannabis um than that but that said <clears throat> you, you mean they would become like heirlooms of that area right like exactly. if somebody else is not in, in, knowledgeable about cannabis but they know gardening tomatoes heirlooms are grown in a specific area and cultivated and harvesting the seeds over and over and over to make it uniform and kind of regional. A lot of those will only grow in certain regions. 
Exactly. And this is what the, you know, Napa Valley is doing. Yeah. Now, another out of that region, they changed, they changed the, the, everything changes with cannabis because of what you're talking about, the silty loam, all the, the UV rays at the certain altitude, the dryness of the air, everything plays a factor into that. All of that, all of that. Exactly. And, you know, I think we got a lot, we're in a very, very interesting um, area, you know, especially the town of Moffitt. As far as I can tell, this, this really only happens within a mile radius. So if you dig five feet deep, you hit water. The water table is right there. So I've been experimenting over the last couple of years with farming. And they do this in Napa Valley. There's there's a region I, I, was, I was researching where same thing, the water table comes up very shallow, and they have an entirely separate uh, uh designation for their for their Appalachian uh terroir filing, which is tied to that dry farming. They're very restricted. It's not that they can't irrigate, but they're very restricted on when, how they irrigate to maintain that, that dry farm um, designation. And what they find is that the, the terpene profile, the flavonoids of the wine are much more expressed through that dry farming method. And, and you know, everything's showing that's the same with cannabis. So you're not going to get the same kind of yields, but that product is, is sold at a premium right because of that designation well this entire town is on that is we're in that dry farm territory it's water's five feet deep everywhere so you know interesting you know area for that um we have no here's another edge this ground is pristine there is no you know cannabis is a remediating crop and this is becoming a really big issue for the com commercial farmers i believe last july they just up the requirements on the heavy metal uh, testing. And I'm getting word back, man, guys like in Pueblo and in the front, they are just failing left and right. Um, a lot of times it's not even like per se in the soil, but they're in, you know, areas that were, were heavily industrialized back in the day. And it's just fucking in the air yep. and it is and it, coming, they're failing. Um, so we got that going for us. You know, this is virgin ground. It's never been, um, uh, outside of like native native grasses, it's never been heavily farmed. No inputs. Really There's no factories near. It is very very secluded down there. Um, I love it. It's beautiful. This the scenery is awesome. I'm gonna um, come down and my buddy's got the aerial um, drone footage. Oh yeah, and we're gonna yeah, take some more footage down there and put some videos together for YouTube. And uh, interview a couple people, go through the groves, and kind of highlight different grow styles and what's happening down there. Uh, <clears throat> you were saying the water their table is really low. It is the largest aquifer in North America is right below you, right? Largest, well, one of the largest. One of the largest. Well, the freshwater, I would say. You know, like like the Ottawa, a lot of these other. Uh, you see what's going on in California. They've they're all they've all saline seen, water. You know, well, yeah, they're well. They're having issues with the supply, and they're and, and it's just tainted water that's getting you know uh, salty. Right? So yeah, so, right there, it does not really rain right in in Moffitt that much, but it's surrounded by mountains which get rain all the time, and then all that rain runoff and all that snowcap melts goes right underneath of you. So it's beautiful down there. The sun shines. How many days a year? It's over three hundred. Yeah. So back to the, the waters. It's so. Our water supply comes from the confined aquifer. So you have the unconfined, which is the upper layer, which, you know, when you're dry farming, that's what your roots are digging into. 
the confined aquifer, however, I mean, this is ancient water. It takes over 10,000 years for the water to, to permeate into that, into that second uh, basin. So this is really pristine ancient water. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're sitting on a big lake. I mean, there's a three mile deep lake underneath our feet. Sun-grown ancient water-fed cannabis sounds tasty. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, so you're talking about seasons. People uh, come down there seasonally, grow outdoors. In the wintertime, it's pretty harsh, so a lot of people leave. But in the summertime, I've heard, uh, I talked to Whitney, just as you mentioned her as your partner. Uh, she was on the show uh, very early on when I think it was the 420 Festival down there last April, maybe, or a Harvest Festival, one of the two. And then uh, she mentioned that there will be need for seasonal workers um, maybe even food trucks. There's not a lot of restaurants down there. I know you mentioned Crestone. That's about a 15, 20 minute drive away. When I came down to stay, I, I drove all the way up there just to get a coffee in the morning. Um, Crestone's a beautiful place. It's a, it's an observatory, uh, night sky blackout community, I think. So all the lights there have, uh, a lumen cap. So it doesn't, we actually are your, the same your sky view and you can see the solar system. The stars are beautiful down there. We actually honor that same. We haven't, the town hasn't formally adopted it, but we do honor the dark sky. You know, there's nothing that pisses off the neighbors more than these greenhouses billowing light out. So we do have a requirement that for the year round um, growers that they have uh, light deprivation curtains. So they're not, you know, destroying the night sky. Not a lot of street signs, a lot of dirt roads down there. Um, There's not even a street light in this county. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, you know, that's that's the opportunity, man, is not only are we building a whole cannabis community, but really we're, we're building a town from the ground up. You know, there's good basic infrastructure here, water, power, but now we just need to bring in, you know, the other than cannabis uh, uh, businesses, right? You know, restaurants and other um, good people from around around the country, exactly. around the world. There's not just people from America. There, there's international people uh, from different countries that have gone down, come down there, bought plots, uh, hired some growers, and they're growing down there. From what I've heard, uh, people move from Florida, beautiful family from from uh, Miami, Cuban descent. Uh, most Miracle most Farms. people are from out of state. Yeah, very few people are from Colorado. This really is like it's like almost like every nation, every nationality is represented out here from all all walks of life. It's a it's a very interesting community. And we're really defining a whole new culture here in this town, you know, based on, you know, commercial commercial cannabis industry, like minded, you know, people. But the yeah. whole town's gone to pot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And you don't want a bunch of other crazy, stupid shit down there either. You don't want a bunch of hard drugs down there. You guys are good on the legal stuff. Keep this other shit away. So if anybody has ideas of coming down there and bringing bullshit, bringing violence, just don't fucking do it. Exactly. But if yeah, you want to come down and meet some really cool people, it's a tight knit community. So once you meet somebody and they realize you're a fuck up, I've heard it happen. Some people are down there taking advantage of other people word got around real quick they left town really fast they're <laughs> there's we, we we don't hesitate man and that, that's the nice thing you know we've been able to sift through you know even down to like the different contractors to work with you know we have a whole list of like 
good guys that have proven them, themselves as people to work. You got with. like a little locals Angie's list, and it's like we do. You we got do. recommended, exactly. recommended. Okay, and if you got a good name, good reputation, you guys are going to fit in really well down there. Even electricians, people, carpentry, people, um, nonstop work, uh, trimming. Non-stop work. If, like yeah. I said, you can get your Colorado badge to work in the industry from afar. You don't have to have a Colorado driver's license. This is what I've heard. Go online, get it. It's under $200, I think. And then you can search for a job or you could come out here. I know there's a lot of seasonal people who used to go all the way to California. They called them Trimigants. Trimigants, I think that was the name. But uh, they would just go out there for a month, work, and leave. Yep. Yeah, and I, just, I want to clarify, you know, as much as I think like the seasonal um outdoor model leaning into that whole appellation thing is is an opportunity you know there's also a lot of uh year-round operations going as here as well we have a lot of warehouses um we have a lot of year-round greenhouses you know my facility flower factory is designed to go all year long and we have several extraction facilities i think we have or we have the fourth one coming online a really big um, rosin facility one of the one of the biggest, most state-of-the-art in the state, I believe. Um, so yeah, there's a, a lot of other things going on. You know, people aren't pigeonholed into going into the outdoor model if they want to build a. You know, we have we have some facilities out here. People invested over three million dollars into there. You know, we have one of the, I believe it's one of two sealed um, deep water culture facilities. Shout out to Astronomic. Yeah, I want to uh, get him. Center. I'm going to tour his little facility. I've already had him on the show and uh, had a few other people with different styles, like Rashawn from Grozilla 5280. He's uh, got his little outdoor grows pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Go check out Astronomics Instagram, man. They really are on the cutting edge of, of, of cannabis production right now. You know, it's all tissue culture genetics they're working with, you know, just really super advanced stuff, man. So, you know, I think sometimes Area 420, we kind of got the the image of being, you know, nothing but, you know, like a ragtag outdoor growers. But there really is some sophisticated shit going on here um, and also a huge opportunity to just hit the season and produce. And really, that's really more what I'm leaning into. Honestly, man, I think this outdoor seasonal model is our strength. Um, you know, if you look at the market right now, people. It's a recession, man. Not many. Not everybody doesn't have money to go buy top shelf like that. So, growing really good sun-grown, you know, cannabis that, that's passing all of its testing legitimately, and you know, getting on the market for you know, well under a hundred dollars an ounce. I think that's a strong play. You know, there's so much ego in this game. Everybody wants to grow, you know, elite, top, top shit, but it, it can't all be that, you know. So. There's a big difference in the sun grown, the terpene profiles, the synergistic effects of the cannabinoids, they're they're elevated, especially if it's in the natural environment, it'll become regional like we've been talking about. Outdoors gotten a bad name, and I think it's time to, you know, change that. Another thing, um, the opportunities for tourism down there too. I know there's a couple hot springs around the area. There's a white, there's a sand dunes or something that's really close. couple other places to visit down there do you think kush or the upcoming kush colorado if the bill passes uh, what it, it basically you put in a request to change the town of moffat to kush and then there's a vote right by the town council well here's the way it works so the requirements are that and this has been my delay the rule states that it's um you have to get a signed petition 
totaling 50% of the amount of people that voted in the last mayoral election. The issue we're having is it's such a small town. There hasn't been, an, it's been a game of tag, you're it. I mean, no other, each of these mayors has ran without opposition, right? So it never came to a vote. So we had to go dig up the records, which actually just the other day, um, our mayor and uh, board, one of our uh, board members, Jason, was able to dig it up and I got what I need now. So it's a signed petition that is then presented to the town board. The board votes on that. If approved, it then goes to the secretary of state. Really, his only job is to determine whether or not there's another town in Colorado named Cush, which there's not. Um, and then he kicks it back to the town and it's officiated. So that's the whole, you know, in cannabis, man, like you mentioned with Instagram, we really can't market much. Right. And in, in terms of tourism, unfortunately, the, the, the state of Colorado has chosen not to support us, you know, with really any dollars or or um, opportunities. So we got to fucking create our own stunts. Right. So, you know, Cush, Colorado. I think is going to draw a lot of attention. You know, the town is in desperate need of, of a rebrand. Um, you know, Forbes magazine came out with an article like six months ago that I think they're valuating like $70 billion for canvas tourism. So it's like, if we can capture 1% of 1% of that, you know, the kind of revenue that we can bring to this town, I mean, shit, the, the sales of, of Cush Colorado t-shirts alone, you know, is going to generate more money than and most of these businesses in town. So, I think it's a huge opportunity. It shows that, that finally there's a, there's a municipality that is, that is going all in, right? This shows the town has put both feet in. They're supporting this industry. Um, and yeah, man, I think this is going to be huge for us. I think, you know, when I kind of dropped it, um, what was it, just a year ago, you know, the idea was to kind of put it out there, see what kind of opposition we got, and then, you know, position ourselves to, to bring this home. And, you know, since then, I think we've made a lot of progress. Um, you know, I think a lot of our opponents have kind of seen where we're coming from and they've now, you know, come over reporters. We're obviously not gonna, you know, get everybody, but I think the the benefits greatly outweigh any of the opposition's voice. And I think it's gonna go through. I can't wait to find out what happens. I definitely wanna be there when the celebration goes down, if it happens. Um, the tourism thing, I think, could be great. Um, is there any? They're gonna have to redo the map. You know yeah, they're I mean? gonna All have to like, and everybody's gonna have to fucking redraw everything. It's hilarious. Like, landowners down there could turn some of their property into uh, campground areas for people to bring their RVs down. Is there any RV uh, camping areas right down there? I, I didn't see any, but maybe in Buena Vista, no. which is probably what forty minutes away. Well, it's funny you say that. This is one of the ideas I've been kicking around lately. Is there's not many rv places in the valley so i was thinking like what if we started like a cannabis koa type situation uh -huh. so we have the land for it um you know if any a little discount to the local uh, hot springs like yeah you get 20 percent off at the local hot springs and get them included to get them some money and and business and build up the whole community right exactly now no another thing i'm working on right now um you know, there's an opportunity for us to have our own hot springs in town. Um, I'm working with a company called Mount Princeton Geothermal. They're actually just launched a whole program or a, or a, a, a project, sorry, um, up in Buena Vista over by their hot springs in Mount Princeton. 
And this would be, so they've done a lot of the preliminary geological studies and we are, you know, the whole valley is sitting on this whole rift. That's why you see those hot springs running along 17. So there's a, there's a lot of data showing that, that this could be feasible. So we're looking at doing um, some exploratory wells. And if we can hit that pocket, um, they're looking at doing two five megawatt power stations. These would be the first uh, geothermal power stations in the state. But the byproduct of this would be hot water. So we would have, you know, all of the um, radiant heat options for our infrastructure along with the uh, hot spring. So to me, there's that really is the project that would take this town to the next level. Um, you know, we've got a proposal in right now. Um, there's a lot of grant money out there for it. Right now, I'm just trying to raise the capital for the exploratory wells. You know, it's going to be somewhere in just 200K just to uh, roll the dice on this. But if we hit, man, this could be a fucking game changer. This would set this town off and we would turn into the most economically viable place to produce cannabis all year long. You know, the winter operations, the cost of production goes up. It's rough. Yeah. You know, this heating, cold as shit. Exactly. But, but it doesn't snow too much, that. does it? It's just very windy right there in the valley. Yeah. And we get some wind, not much snow. You know, everything pretty much falls out before it hits us. Thankfully, it's the same, same with the hail. I call it the Moffat Donut. You know, if you're if you're out, you'll see crazy shit going on all around the mountains. Thunderstorms over there, snow over there. And it's just mm -hmm. you know sunny sky right above us. So we got you know just the way the wind blows. The location is 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 everything, right? Yes, it is. And um, Virgin Islands um, are they coming up to uh, Area 420? Some of the representatives. Soon, I think you well, mentioned something about that, and they were coming up and uh, they were getting the paperwork in order for them to launch. Do you know when the Virgin Islands might actually get there? Um, not exactly, rolling, sure. maybe so, a year or two. Yeah, well, they have a mandate to a one year mandate from the date the governor signed it, which was what about a month ago, um, to start the application licensing process. You know, they're really scrambling to pull this together right now. It's, it's, a, it's a heavy lift. But the idea is, this is, this is cool. So we're looking at, at entering into, so I guess let me rewind. So I've been working with their government, um, you know, really on this whole social equity thing. They were really interested on, in how we were able to pull this together out here. And I've been offering up, you know, the, the key players um, on our team that made this, you know, Colin Mudd with Canope Compliance, um, you know, some of the other people who work with Jerry with Figaro to to work with them to 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 pull their program together. So they're they've adopted the the Colorado model, right? The governor came out here, what was it, last October with some of their representatives. So their their core regulations are the Colorado, you know, language framework. So so we understand that now it's just a matter of how do we carve up the social equity thing. So one of their proposals, um, we're able to, to meet with uh, this guy, Tippy Alford. So he's a very interesting guy. He's a uh, Harvard and Yale graduate attorney. He's a two-time Grammy nominated reggae artist. 
and three-time Olympic swimming uh, uh, oh, champion. Okay. Really interesting guy. So, so he has been nominated as the cannabis czar of the Virgin Islands. He's the right-hand man the of the governor. It's, it's his responsibility to roll this thing out. So he had a really cool idea, which was to, to enter into a uh, – and actually with, a, with another partner of his, Shelley Moorhead, who was the former ambassador of the Virgin Islands. This is credit, credit – this idea, credit to them. Um, they said, what if, what if um, we joined in an official sister cities designation? And I hadn't really ever heard much about this, but what it, it's, it's a real thing. It's an international designation. Where, yeah. Um, and for the purpose of this, this would be, you know, based around the cannabis industry and sharing our, you know, resources and experience that we've had within the industry. So another component of this is we have the idea of, all right, well, let's, what if we donated uh, an acre of land um, to their university? So, you know, their governor's, pet project is to make sure that the university of the Virgin islands, um, is able to get into the, the profit, you know, some of these grants for, for R and D. Um, but being, you know, until they open up this interstate, there's really not much they're going to be able to do with each other. You know, to do this, you need to be able to coordinate and work with other, um, labs. So the thought was if we, if we opened up a piece of property out here for them to get that ball rolling, you know, then there there could be some some crosswork there. So that's the proposal right now. Um, the town of Moffat has has a uh, um, adopted the ordinance of the introduction for sister city designation with Christiansted. Uh, this is out on Saint Croix. Um, yeah, we're just we're pulling all that together right now. And uh, the regional, going back to the regional grow outdoors down there, I know that they're uh, susceptible to blackouts. So there's not going to be a lot of indoor grows down there from what I understand. Um, the lighting is different there. There's going to be perpetual 12 on 12 lighting, which means that the plants will grow longer in flower stage, like these long grown sativas. Uh, I can't wait to see what they have going and kind of be more like Jamaica. I guess with their with their um, strains and their local collie weed, and uh, I think something bread, collie bread or lamb's bread. That's it. And uh, right. and you were talking about the Virgin Islands had something named Carn. Is that their local? Carn. That's their local the, slang or their their K, their fire. K-A-R-N. Yeah, what they're saying is corn, like corn on the cob, but but they pronounce it Carn. And that's the, yeah, that's their slang for cannabis. That's unique to the Virgin Islands. So they yeah, have they a strain name that or is that just like, hey, you got the ganja. Is it like ganja or is it like kush? Because kush is more of a specific type of strain. Um, is I, it, I don't think they're just calling it a strain. It's just it's like, like ganja. The, 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 yeah, the slang term. So they don't know you're talking about weed. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so is it prevalent there now? Is it, uh, you spend a little time, is it hard to get down there? Was it something that the locals got locked up for before? Is it? Um... Oh yeah, definitely, man. They fly helicopters around the island. Like, you know, the local growers that I've met very, very small time. I mean, if you have a, if you got a 10 light grow out there, man, I mean, you're, you're big time, right? Like that's big shit. So, you know, price of cannabis is crazy, man. It's five, $6,000 a pound. Yeah. Um, out there. I was in Bermuda and the big thing in Bermuda, they don't have any natural fresh water. They have to catch the rainwater. The roofs on their houses are made with a certain type of uh, 
limestone or something that helps to clean the filter water as it rolls off and they catch the water and then they have to use it that way same on the islands but they do act they do actually have some water well supply as well cisterns i think some people are calling them yeah most people are cisterns but there is actual like wells that you can draw water there's a water table then okay and i think mainly i'm not too sure how it works on the other islands but saint croix is you know historically that's the the largest agricultural producing island in the caribbean Um, do they have any wildlife i know in bermuda they have no no mammals they have no deer no no animals to come and bother your garden if they have anything growing out there what's funny is they have little tiny deer they do they were introduced by the you know in the colonial days all three Uh, islands or just one of them I think they could all be a little bit unique, but I think it is all three. I think it is all three have them, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's what really interests me. You know, I'm I've been really laser focused on you know this whole Area 420 project. You know, we got a pretty good out here. I haven't, I've had a lot of partners. You know open up some opportunities like new york and some of these other states but really man i, I just want nothing to do with that with the headache just because I, I i see them coming but the virgin islands i think is something different you know it's a very unique opportunity and situation down there and i'm my main uh reason and, and interest is you know i think the dichotomy between what we're doing out here in the kush dominant space but then being able to get down there and and start growing some of these sativas and hazes that you don't see in the market anymore. You know, nobody's doing that shit. Polar opposites of the regional. Two just polar opposites of the regionals we've been talking about. That regional wine type, or uh, it's just like the wines made from different grapes. The grapes all come from different areas, different water, different amounts of sulfur, which uh, sulfur has a big thing to do with the grape uh, flavor, I believe, and. Uh, some of it, it just doesn't turn out very good, and it turns into vinegar instead of wine. So a lot of the regional stuff you go around, it's going to turn into to vinegar, which is something that's not consumable as flour, but it'll be made into other products like topicals or something like that. That's that's what I'm getting to. <laughs> but the Kush region, you're going to have some really good stuff, and I can't wait to see what happens in the, with the sativas down there. I would love to go visit sometime and uh, interview some of these people. I have a friend who went down there after college and kind of dropped off the map and got into one of these uh, Rastafari communities. Then uh, I haven't seen or heard from him in a long time, but I think he was in St. Thomas. Um, how how yeah, many people are on? And uh, most Americans don't know it is an American territory. So most Americans can travel there without a passport. Am I correct? Maybe with a license with a star on it. No, you don't need a passport at all. In fact, it's funny that that's kind of what led me down there. You know, I went down there when COVID hit and I don't have a passport. I've never really been out of the country or, you know, traveled much. Uh, But my wife was like, you know, we got to go do something. So she actually figured this out. Um, And, you know, at that time during this is they did a very good job of of, uh, handling this COVID shit. And they were one of the only areas that we, you know, I didn't feel like I was going to get locked out and wouldn't make it back home. So I really stumbled into this opportunity. I wasn't going down there to do any business. Um, you know, before I went down there, I, I did a little bit of research and, you know, I'd seen that they had passed their medical bill 
there's very limited information on online, but they made it look as though they had already they had a store. I have this whole thing like I'm not going to a you know a state or territory if they don't have legal cannabis. You know, I'm not trying to get fucking yeah. locked up in some Caribbean jail. Yeah, shit, locked up, brother. So, exactly. It. So they may have seen that way. When I got to the island and went to the store, it was it was just CBD. I was like, oh fuck, what is this? So that's what kind of got me digging into it. Um, uh, Adam Dunn, good good friend of ours, he had a contact on the island. This guy Pavid Nelson, it's his real name. He was he's a, a former seven time legislator, and he's the current commissioner of Ag. So I was able to sit down with. Him. Oh shit! He accidentally cut off here, folks. Let me uh, see if I can get him back there. I don't know what happened here. Just give me a moment. While we got a little break here, I'd like to give a big shout out to Miles Filippelli. He hooked me up with some fermented plant extracts for this round so I could sample them out. Also, he is setting up a class, a three-day NICE class in response to a high demand of shorter classes. We will be offering a three-day class of NICE process-focused intensive classes in Denver, Colorado. It will be a demonstration only, not a hands-on class. Each student will receive and leave with a nice starter pack of nutrients, thumb drive of class information, certificate of completion, discount room rates for students, and swag bag. So if you're interested, it's going to be at the Hyatt Place, Cherry Creek, Colorado, April 7th through April 9th, 2023. For more information, email jace at touchedbycannabis.com. That is jace, J-A-C-E, at touchedbycannabis.com. Dot com. Hope to see you there. It's going to be very informative. All right. So sorry about that. Mike's phone died. Yeah, um, he was getting ready to tell us about Adam Dunn's friend down in the Virgin Islands, and you were sent down to talk to him about some stuff, and he worked uh, with the Ag Department, I believe, or in the politics. Yeah, so he was seven-time former legislator, current commissioner of Ag, and he was the sponsor of their medical bill program that they were writing on so they kind of had they had like this medical bill that kind of decrimmed it but it didn't they hadn't gotten to the point of opening it up to any sales so that's what led to the conversation he was able to introduce me to the governor um, and some of their representatives and this was last february and then i just went back out there again what just over a month ago um, to meet with tippy and some of the other representatives were they able so to we're hook also you up looking at with a little bit of herb. <laughs> were you able to uh, find yeah, something actually, there, no. but that wasn't CBD? So here, yeah, here's the thing with the island, man. You can get bud. Um, you know, when I first went down there, I was able to pick some up, and I was not impressed. The issue is the humidity, right? All the bud is wet. It's the exact opposite and of here. It's polar opposite. Total opposite, man. It's so hard to fucking smoke weed down there. It's crazy. So like, you literally, I'd have to get the bags, open it up you know, in my room to the AC on just to, just to get it to the point where I can smoke it. So I kind of thought I, you know, left with the impression like, ah, they kind of got some trashy weed down there. But when I went out this last time, I was able to meet some of the other growers and there's good growers on the Island, man. Like they're growing fire. It's just, and this is what I learned. You know, I brought a bit of fire out uh, from here down there and fully sealed up, you know, and a couple days into the trip, it looked like their shoe. It was all, you know, humid it started to rot actually you would need to, the humidity controlled 
uh, packs. They actually pull the humidity out of it or uh, a special humidified room like that sucks the humidity out down there pretty much. Or I think they actually will like wrap it in paper, put it in buried under the ground. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's going to be the key to that market, man, is making sure that we're using the right packaging and curing properly so that, you know, you know, the, the customers get good, good product. You know, it has to be in something that even if they don't consume it for, you know, two, three days on the island, they can open it up and, yeah, and it's, well, not it's the same. It's the exact opposite here. So if people come out here and you want to enjoy something like Colorado, oh honest, you're going to be prepared to have some crumbly crumbly herb that just turns into powder if you don't have it in the right concealed container with a humidity regulator or something in it like i always have a, a little regulator in there and there's one from boost uh, bovita is another one um and it keeps it right at 60 percent humidity if you're running at 80 percent humidity your weed is going to mold yep yeah and the issue they have they said that the power out there is man their power is crazy it's it's 56 cents a kilowatt hour which is just about five times more expensive than what we pay out here so everything's and gonna be out there pretty they much have, they have rolling blackouts all the time so so power is a huge issue um you know if you are doing anything indoor you're gonna have to have backup generators um i see more of people maybe having uh in my idea if they want to grow something that's not sativa they're gonna have to have some kind of blackout they're gonna have a way to cover up their crop after eight hours of sun or something instead of having 12 hours of light that would be the only way they could probably well, grow some different strains there to uh well yeah it's the it's the, it's the opposite right so, so my strategy for growing outdoors would be you know hoop houses with lighting led light them to extend the day on the veg and then you just put them out or or, or turn the lights off and they go it's 12 12 it's immediate flower all year long yeah i know so you could just add one hour of light to make it more i know there's a thing called a gas lighting i don't know if you ever heard of gas lighting it's a 12 one lighting schedule yep. where you have 12 it. hours and then just throw one hour midnight or, or like halfway in the, through the night it'll keep them in veg and then you just take I, that one hour out and it'll be on a 12 hour cycle you'd have some long flowering sativas we played with that. Yeah, you can go out literally just flash your plants with heavy light, you know, throughout the night and, and trick them from going in. I've also experimented with just, you know, like the little LED lights that you can, the cheap ones. Oh, you yeah. put one, one of those over the cage, you know, and you'll extend the season with that. It doesn't take much to keep them, um, you know, in the vegetative cycle. Yeah, that's why some people don't know. Just like a little light on a humidifier or dehumidifier in your, in your grow tent. If it pops on, it's not green, it's white. That little bit at night when it gets full and gives you that warning, it'll it'll fuck up and give you some herms or it'll keep your flowers from uh, from producing correctly. You know, interesting point on that I've noticed over the years in our greenhouse production. There's definitely something to what you're talking about if you're in an indoor with, with uh, artificial light versus if you're using the sun. So, for example, in our year-round greenhouses, a little light like that won't trigger no. anything like it would in a pure outdoor. I, I think what it is, it's it's used to getting such full lumen from the sun that any little bit like that is isn't going to be that much. So so that yep. said, you know, to keep to keep these plants in a per, uh, perpetual veg is going to take a little bit more light yeah. than I think people. I would, think you I'm know, talking about a little tiny tent at home. The little tiny tent. Oh yeah, definitely. Find it so dark in there that one little light kind of brightens it up off the little reflecting sidewalls and everything, and it'll screw some shit up. It'll give you some hurts for sure. It will definitely. I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's something so, different about it. 
I don't know much about it, but it's something I would like to learn about outdoor sun grown stuff also gets natural moonlight. The moonlight plays a big factor too in plants. Um, I know there's some people out there that talk about that from Cali. I, I don't know much about outdoors. That's something I'd love to be able to do because I've never been in a place well, where I could legally do it and not feel paranoid. That, that, that's one of the things I noticed too. Yeah. Cause you'll see like a full moon is like, Holy shit. That's a lot of light. Another good example is, you know, one of the first farms we set up in town, um, there was a street light right across uh, from where our greenhouse was. And like a good third of the greenhouse at night was being pretty well, hit up with that light and i thought you know this is going to cause problems and it didn't i think it, Wait, that's it, what i mean there's, there's there's something different to you know full sun outdoor it really does take a, a somewhat intense amount of light to to disrupt the, the cycle yeah it's very unique and uh, i think i've heard that if there's no males around and the plants won't get pollinated because and they don't get hermaphroditized as much with a little bit of light the moonlight somehow it goes at least three or four cycles of full moon to new moon during a full plant cycle at least and uh i think it's something with the lumens i've heard that the lumens aren't or, quite bright or enough. the spectrum the, the spectrum too it's kind of like a green spectrum or something. The green light lamps that you have on your hat or your head, you can wear those in your in your indoor grow at night and it won't trigger anything because the plants don't recognize the green spectrum. That it reflects right off the leaves. That's why you see green when you look at it because it's reflecting the green light. Exactly. Uh, it's interesting. And I can't wait to uh, find out and travel the world and see all these regional regional grows outdoor I, I tell people it's kind of like chocolate regional right? grows outdoor I, I tell people I, th thing went off it went just on, cut off for a second when you push the button there but uh, I, th I think it's kind of like chocolate you're going to have better quality chocolate or wine like you said I just don't like to compare cannabis to wine myself I try try like to keep them separate. Yeah, I mean it's it's, it's yeah, it's definitely its own thing. I just think that is I think we're gonna go more down that road than like you know, any other crop I can think of, especially alcohol. I think this is more like a micro brew or a wine model than you know. So I got else. a question. Since uh Colorado has recently gone legal with the psychedelics, do you see any um mushroom cultivating in the future if it becomes legal and depending on what uh happens in in the state would that be something that's uh in the future possible around area 420 definitely man yeah yeah you know is already taking the position that once the state um you know opened up their provisions the town's in full support and we'll, we'll follow suit um i think that this entire area is gonna be you know, a really good match for, for this industry. You know, you don't really want to go into Denver and deal with all that chaos to consume. So I think there's going to be a good future for psilocybin type treatments and, and tourism um, out here. You know, you want to get out into nature. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a beautiful it's place for it. Just got to make sure you bring a lot of water, drink a lot of water and uh, <laughs> bring yeah, some gonna sunscreen to be because the sun's beautiful. It's going to take a, you know, this is my only concern is, you know, this isn't exactly like cannabis, 
you know, I've had some pretty bad trips, so it's going to have to be, it, it's going to have mm-hmm. to be managed properly. You know, I was talking with, um, uh, this lady, I think her believe her name is Jenna. Um, she, she does these kind of like mushroom, uh, you know, like excursions, like, you know, she's, she's there to chaperone the, the entire trip and takes them out into nature and, you know, shit like that, I think is going to be powerful. Yeah. You'll need, uh, depending, I don't recommend eating a lot of mushrooms. I, I'm microdose. I don't, I don't eat ever more than a gram. My, if I want to have a, uh, recreational time, I might eat half a gram. That's enough for right. me. It puts a smile on my face and I don't recommend people eating That's a lot, lot without having somebody there to, ever watch them in case they do have a bad trip but some of these uh medical doses are out there people aren't serving up mushrooms they're serving up raw concentrated psilocybin like if you uh look into john hopkins research and some of their testing they're giving like they're extracting them i see that yeah seeing seeing god i think they call it the god dose or something like that just like abnormous amounts of psilocybin <laughs> and you definitely need somebody there to uh to watch your back and to help you through it it could be very emotional yeah i can man i, I i'm you know, totally I've afraid my, of something like that <laughs> I, I am too man i don't really i do a little bit of microdosing from time to time but it's really just not my thing i don't think my mind state vibes very well with the uh, psilocybins yeah, I understand. And that, uh, I'm about the same way. So when we talk about it, people out there don't get it that we're just getting fucked up out there. People are getting screwed up. It's, it's a microdose thing. It's something for mental health. It just, uh, improves the quality of life it's, for a lot of people. My, my support comes from what I've seen from, from some of my good friends, you know, I, I've seen this shit change their lives and this is on the microdose level. You know, they're not getting high, but what for depression, and anxieties like it's ptsd it's is a big curing, one curing people like immediately so it's it's powerful and yeah especially a nice, on that a nice big dose a nice big dose might be helpful for a lot of people but definitely look for some supervision some people that are experienced with it that i've talked a lot of people down i've i was experienced with lsd in college and uh partied with a lot of people and seen a lot of people have bad trips and i've had to calm a lot of people down in my day uh so be careful with them just realize that everybody out there is not partying it is a a way of life for them it is a dream for them to be able to grow their own cannabis and uh support their own medicine definitely man this is it's a dream hey mike i thank you for coming on the show i know you're a busy man you got things to get to um I will be seeing you sometime shortly. I'm not sure exactly if not before April 1st. Um, it'll be April 1st. I'll be down there for at least two or three days and uh, in that area. And then I plan on spending a lot of the summer down there. So hopefully uh, I might even get some work in, get my badge again and lend a helping hand with some people down there. Oh, yeah, man. I think this is going to be a good year. And we'll yeah, put, that, put that space to work a little bit. I'll get some more interviews out there. and. Uh, Help make Area 420 dream come true for everyone. Oh, yeah. I, I like, appreciate you, man. I'm happy and thank you for uh, spreading the knowledge for all these other people in other states. They they might be able to find a, a way to do the same thing in their state and um, become sister cities with other cities across the nation. 
hopefully you know, someplace I, you in know, thailand i got a buddy in thailand and he's uh talking with some people that he's in uh i think he was saying that the head of the military is coming in and is helping set up some kind of big grow somewhere and they've given plants to everybody and i've been giving him a little bit of uh, advice on auto flowers since they have that really long long season auto flowers are really good so that might be something too for the virgin islands uh throwing some auto flowers down for them too so anybody with auto flower genetics virgin islands might be a place to promote okay and anybody's got some good like nasty hazes man that's that's the opportunity down there yeah definitely acapulco gold something i can't grow up here uh any of the long growing like thailand and um they have a the black tie i think it's black vietnamese tie or something like that grows there too and uh or not i think it's like 14 weeks to to grow there we go but a super psychedelic yes nobody's doing that let's do it hey well thanks again shout outs again to area 420 matt brainstrap for helping hook all of it up for us and uh introducing us and uh thanks for tuning in fellas and ladies Uh, gromies peace appreciate you man thanks Thanks a lot man before we finish today's show i'd like to give a shout out to clone ireland thanks for tuning in send some feedback let me know what's happening in ireland uh, thanks to Melbourne, Australia. I got a bunch of listeners down there. Give me feedback. Thanks for the feedback. Keep spreading the good word. Big shout out to Germany too. And Brussels, Belgium. Getting a lot of hits and a lot of listens from over there. And lastly, thanks for tuning in in Luli, Sweden. Love to know what's happening in Sweden with the cannabis market right now. Keep spreading the word. Tell people about Little Farmer. And one love. Tune in next week. To Reefer the Reefer, the podcast. I want